Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. I'm the voice of the podcast. My name is Dan Levy, also producer. And on with me again, the Silver Slugger, the All-Star, the Golden Glover. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Brett Boone. What up, Brett? Hi, Dan. What's happening this week? Booney, what are you up to these days? Uh, Playing a little golf, monitoring children. Are you monitoring Uh, the Dodgers about to win it again for like the first time since the 80s? Wow. Uh, it kind of threw me for a loop. I, I had Tampa Bay. We'll I know see. you did. We'll see. T- tomorrow night's big. Uh, I think Tampa Bay wins tomorrow, but it, it sets up for Bueller in game seven. So we'll see. Before we'll we see. before we intro the guest, because we got a very important guy on the line, and I just wanted to throw this one at you real quick. Kershaw, not the greatest postseason pitcher. If he continues to be a subpar postseason pitcher, does that go into him maybe not even being a Hall of Famer? Well, I kind of, you know, I kind of go against that. I, I think with a guy like Clayton and, and with the, he's had such a great career. Of course, he's going to be a little more scrutinized in the postseason. I mean, going in the last night, he had a he had a two ERA in the postseason, and you know, it, the bar is set so high because of the the quality of his career. I think people are a little they they put a little too much into it, and and I look at. Uh, this postseason, he's he's been very good, and if these Dodgers, uh, if they win that 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 trophy in a couple nights, um, I, I think all the the postseason Clayton stuff's going to go away. So, you know, I don't I don't put much credence into that stuff. Got you know, the, the the one guy I I think of is Barry Bonds, and you know he probably the greatest player I've ever seen. And he he had a real subpar postseason numbers until about 2002, and then he turned that around. So I, I don't know. I, I just think it's it's a tribute to Clayton for how great he's been that he scrutinized this hard. So I'm a little I'm a little less harsh on him. All right. Well, going from one guy who may or may not be Hall of Fame worthy to a guy who definitely is Hall of Fame worthy and is in the Hall of Fame for hockey. We have a five-time Stanley Cup champ, a seven-time All-Star, one of only six goalies with over 400 wins. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest to ever do it, Grant Fierre. What's up, Grant? How you guys doing? Hi, Grant. What's going on? Booney here. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Um, man, I, we didn't get to see each other this year. We had that... Uh, Corona kind of kept us out of the tournament that we normally play in together. And it seems like we've been paired up a couple times. I don't know if that's a good thing for you. Telling the audience out there, uh, Grant and I played in a couple golf tournaments together. And usually day one, whatever your score is, you're usually paired up with, with that likeness the next day. And a couple years in a row, I got to play with Grant. Uh, like I said, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing because Grant's a little bit more of a consistent player than I am. But uh, welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, let's get right to it. I, you know, everybody knows my story on this on this podcast. You know, I grew up and all I ever did, my background was play baseball. Uh, did is, is Grant Fury you grew up in in Canada. Did you grow up always wanting to be a hockey player? I did. I mean, hockey was kind of first and foremost, and baseball was actually a second love. So I get, I get lucky. I get to play a little bit of both. So, I mean, is it something in, in Canada where you wake up Christmas morning, you go down, and, and hockey's the theme? Whereas I, I, I couldn't – for me, that's all I ever thought about as a kid was, was baseball. And, and kind of segueing into being a goalie, it's a real unique position. Did you were you always a goalie, or did you play other positions growing up? 
No, you know what's funny is I was a goalie from day one. I mean, I started skating when I was about four years old, and the first team I played on, they were short a goalie, and the equipment looked like a novel thing. It looked like fun. And I decided to put it on day one, and I've been a goalie ever since. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. It's you know it, it's such a unique position when you when you look at the big three sports, and you know hockey or big four. When you go hockey and you go the NHL or, or the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, goalie is pretty. I, I mean, if I if I were to think about it, I the only thing that has a likeness to it, I would think, would be a, a catcher in baseball. Were, were you a catcher? You said baseball was. I your was second actually. <laughs> I like being a and, target for some reason. Yeah, and, and I think about it, and you know, my dad caught for for nineteen years, and I think the only thing that would kind of be similar to that is being a goalie. Tell me how that. Tell me the differences or the likenesses. Uh, you know what the likenesses are? The hand eyes fairly close. That and you, as a catcher, you kind of control the game by calling pitches. Whereas in hockey, we kind of control the game by how many goals you give up. So either the great part about being a goalie is you make a difference every game, whether you'll like it or not. That's the fun part. So they have a lot of similarities. At the same time, there's a lot of differences. I mean, the ball's only coming from one direction where a puck can be deflected and move around a little bit, but it's still got the same bruises attached to it. Yeah. And you did it for a long time. How about, how about a little bit about explain to the audience kind of the, the you know, they hear a lot about it on this podcast about baseball and the intricacies and, and how we come up through the minor league ranks. ranks. Uh, junior hockey is the way to go for, for a young aspiring hockey player. Um, take me into that world a little bit before you get to the NHL. What, what, is, what is that like in junior hockey and the minor leagues of hockey? Well, for myself, I left home at 15 to go play junior hockey. So I get to play a couple of years out in Victoria, which is up in Canada, right? and then get drafted out of there. So I basically left high school to play pro. So I kind, yeah, of, it, kind of the oddity, that's, which is a little weird. But, yeah, because I'm thinking, you know, as, as baseball players, we grew up, especially if you grew up in the United States or Canada, you're not eligible professionally until you're 18 years old. Uh, you can, you know, you, you see it. You see, you know, there's a big influence in Major League Baseball uh, in the Latina community, Latino community. And you can sign like if you're in the Dominican Republic, there's kids that are coming in 15, 16 years old. But as far as professionally in the United States, you got to be a senior in high school. I think I think there might be a caveat. I think uh, um, there was a uh, there was an instance five or six years ago where where somebody signed earlier, but pretty much the, the mainstay is 18. And I think from a baseball standpoint, I don't see too many guys at, at 18 that are even ready to, to play professional baseball. But but is that is is there a difference, do you think, between ba- I mean, you take a 15 or 16 year old and put them in a ball. They're pretty much going to be dominated. How how does that how does that translate into the hockey world? It's pretty much the same way in hockey. I mean, there's very few 18-year-olds that are good enough to step right in and play. Uh, you get the odd one every three or four years that'll step in and play, but normally they'll go back, they'll play an extra year, maybe two years of junior, and then they might play a year in the minors. And by the time they're 19, 20, they'll be ready to at least get a limited role in the National Hockey League, but 
there's a lot of guys that don't get to play for five, six years. They'll play in the minors before they get to the National Hockey League. So it's all kind of on the individual and how he progresses. And we're going to skip to the, the fighting aspect of the NHL, and I'm fascinated with it because it's the only sport where it's kind of <laughs> accepted. It's accepted. And there's been a lot of talk, and you've probably heard recently in, in Major League Baseball about rules and unwritten rules, and I've debated back and forth. And, and you know, for our time, my time, which was the 90s, early 2000s, there's a set of rules. There's a protocol you kind of live by. Uh, so that's been a major topic. I was wondering in the hockey arena – you know, you've got guys that are signed to your team to be enforcers. They're they're given contracts for that particular reason. Um, is there a protocol? Are there unwritten rules? Like you're a goalie your whole life. It, when a fight breaks out, is it protocol that no goalies can only fight goalies? Or you're you're stud on your team. You play with Gretzky. Uh, I think numerous times, two or three different times in your career. Was there kind of a rule where you don't touch our main score, our stud, we don't touch yours? What's give, let me, give me a little insight to that. Well, you know, when I first started, everybody had two or three guys that were there basically as the babysitters. So they let your best players be your best players. And nobody took liberty with your best players. There were no cheap shots. And then as the games progressed over the last seven, eight, nine years, they've tried to take that out of the game, and the league's tried to govern from basically wearing a suit. And it's made the game, in my opinion, it's made the game a little bit more dangerous. And come playoff time, fans want to see your best players be your best players. So you see teams like the year Pittsburgh won, they had Ryan Reeves there to ride shotgun for Sidney Crosby. Crosby had a phenomenal playoff because nobody took liberties with them. There were no cheap shots. So a lot, of, a lot of it, it's not so much that it's the fighting. It's the fact that you might have to pay a price. So if somebody has to pay a fine, they really don't care what the salaries they're making. But if you know somebody's going to punch you in the face, a little different price to pay. So guys are a little more careful that way. Yeah, and, and I'm looking at it, you know, in my sport, and, and I see how, you know, the rules are getting more and more uh, – because I was always a guy, we, we always took care of stuff on the field, and it was an eye for an eye. And, and as the rules creep in more and more, and, and it, like you, you pointed out, the salaries, that's, you know, across the board, everybody's starting to make more and more money. And as an owner, you know, you have a bigger investment, and, and those owners want to protect their investment. So I see on the baseball field now a lot of, you know, especially in Major League Baseball, they kind of up the game from an entertainment standpoint. You see a lot of a lot of hitters pimping home runs, a lot of pitchers doing dances when they strike out. In, in my day, if you did something that was kind of out of the norm, you were going to pay for it. And everybody <laughs> knew it. As long as we're even, it's a, it's a tip of the cap and we go off to first. Nowadays, if there's a pitch even close, those, those umpires are instructed to warn each dugout. And, and I don't know it in, in, in the baseball world if that's a good thing or not. I guess there's going to be less injuries. But, but I think a lot of things would be nipped in the bud if they knew – what could come for a certain certain kind of behavior if you're following me on that. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's I've always been fascinated by hockey. Hockey players have always been my my favorite. See, their demeanor's always been kind of more humble than the other sports. And I thought that was cool. Just my my brief uh, 
interaction and hanging out with with hockey players but uh it's fascinating to me the fighting aspect it's still to this day I, every time i watch i'm thinking if we did that in baseball that's ten thousand, and you're out for a month uh but in hockey it, it's kind of the norm and, you, get a five and, minute you know, rest. Forgot, huh you get a five minute rest in hockey oh it's great though but i think that's what separates you from the other sport it's a man's it's a man's sport but uh i've always found that pretty fascinating never really being you know competitive uh, a competitive hockey player i grew up on the lake skating the lakes and man we had a lot of fun hockey games but i never got into a league or played competitively i was always playing baseball i uh i i had when i first got to the big leagues I got to play probably, you know, I think he's he's a mutual friend of both of ours, Ken Griffey Jr., probably one of the best players ever to to, to lace it up. And uh, one of your uh, teammates, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, obviously the great one, Wayne Gretzky, uh, he's, he's quoted as saying that, that Grant Fuhrer is probably, in his opinion, the greatest goalie to ever play the game. And I, and I thought that's pretty big coming from, you know, arguably the greatest score to ever play the game. You were, you were, uh, just voted top hundred hockey player ever. Uh, I know what it was like playing with junior cause we were the same age. And, and it was to me playing with him. I thought I was really good. And then I met junior and I'm going, this guy's the same age as me. And it's like, he was so far ab- above and beyond the normal really good major league player what was that like give, give me a little insight on playing with Gretzky all those years you know what it was fun to play with Wayne I mean one he enjoyed the game and he was fun to be around but at the same time you got to see how the best player in the world at that time prepared for games how he would look at the game I mean practicing with him every day you got to see how he read the game so it made all of us around him better just because you didn't want to get left in the dust. You wanted to be able to keep up on his level. But and, the best part uh, yeah, that nobody knows about Wayne, nicest guy in the world. I mean, if a rookie came to our team, Gretz made sure he had a place to stay. Maybe if he needed, they'd take him for dinner. If he needed a car, he'd make sure he had a car. Always looked after the newest guys. It was, it, it was something that we all learned from. Yeah, that's very, and, and I've played in a couple tournaments with, with Wayne and I've met him a few times. You're right. I mean, professional first class guy and, uh, you know, it, and, and walking around with that label of the great one, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, let's fast forward a little bit in your career. You, you had so many great years with Edmonton. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden here, here's a guy, Grant Fear grows up in Canada and all of a sudden, you go to LA and you play for the Kings. And I, and I think if I'm not mistaken, I think Gretzky, you know, the Kings, LA Kings have been in LA since the seventies, but I think when Wayne went there, he kind of put him on the map. And, and I, I believe you joined him in the 94, 95 season in LA. Uh, how was that growing, growing up in Canada, playing in the NHL, playing in Edmonton all those years. And now you're in Southern California, you know, beaches 10 minutes away was, what was that like? You know, for me, it wasn't bad because I was only there for about 10 weeks. So I came came over there in the trade deadline, and there was already seven or eight guys that I had played with in Edmonton. So it was a nice, easy adjustment. And at the end of that season, I was a free agent. So I was just there to basically showcase myself for other teams to look at. So with having Wayne around and Marty McSlorley, Charlie Huddy, Paul Coffey, 
it was just like having the old band back together again. So it was actually a fun stop. And, and I had a buddy of mine, Andre Reed came on the show a few weeks ago and, and I had Barry Larkin last week and I asked him this question. I want to ask you this question. Growing up, you, you play hockey, you have a great NHL career, you have a Hall of Fame career. I'm sure when it came time for you to be inducted, all your buddies, all your family members, yourself probably, in, in your case with the numbers and, and the accolades that you, that, uh, that you earned throughout your career, it was probably a pretty surefire, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it into the Hall of Fame. But did you, I, asked, I asked Andre about it, and he said that the gold jacket dinner was surreal to him. He couldn't believe he actually was there. He was told he's probably going to get inducted. Uh, Barry said it took him a couple years, and he was still walking around saying he can't believe it. When did, did, did Grant Fuhr have that moment of reality where, yeah, I'm probably going to make it in, but when it actually happened, did you have a moment where you thought, wow, you know what? I never thought, I never even thought about making it in. Right? There's been so many great players in the National Hockey League that it wasn't something I ever worried about. I mean, I just didn't, I, the only thing I really worried about was enjoying myself playing the game. So the fact when they called and gave me the news that I was inducted, it was a little overwhelming. But at the same time, you kind of sit back and you look at all the different players that are in the Hall of Fame, and it was actually really cool. Until you get there, then you're in a mad panic. But... It was, it was it still to this day is actually a pretty neat feeling. What do you miss more, the guys or the game? The guys. The game I can live without right now. The body's beat up enough, so I can live without the game, but you miss the guys. You see the guys every day, and that's the fun part of the game is the camaraderie and the routine of seeing the guys. Yeah, I I have very similar feelings. You know, I watch these guys on TV. I don't miss chasing that slider in the dirt. I really don't. But I I miss going <laughs> and, and that camaraderie, like you said, that that you have in that clubhouse. And yeah, I do miss those. Well, I'll tell you what, Grant. I I really appreciate you hopping on with us. Um, tell us what you got going on. I know you got a golf tournament coming up. Is anything else you're doing from a charity standpoint, or or anything you want to want to talk about? Uh, you know what? I'm hoping we can finally get past COVID and all the charity events come back again. I mean, yeah. this is the first year I haven't traveled 150 days for charity stuff. So it's been an interesting year, but we decided we're going to have our first annual down in Palm Springs, a little golf tournament to benefit the Betty Ford Center. So a chance to give back a little bit and have a little fun at the same time. And hopefully COVID will be behind us and everybody can enjoy themselves. All right. And what we do here on the Boone podcast when we're done is we got uh, the voice of the podcast. Dan Levy comes in with a question from the fan. Go ahead, Dan. Grant, thank you so much once again for coming on and joining us. I know you're in Vegas right now, so it's even better that you were able to jump on with us. One question I have for you. The game today has been slowly and slowly trying to shrink goalie pads because it's trying to increase scoring. That seems like a pretty dangerous thing. Should they continue going that route, or should they widen the nets? What could they do to to make a happy medium there? I think they just got to put some weight back in the equipment. I mean, when I played, a set of pads weighed 20, maybe 22 pounds. So if you want goalies to shrink the equipment on their own, put a little weight back in it. If it gets heavy enough, guys will shrink it on their own. You won't even have to think about it. Okay, and with that said... How can the sport, I mean, you are not only just a Hall of Famer, but you are actually the first African-American to be 
in hockey's Hall of Fame. How can the sport right now welcome more African-American players to the game? What can they do to, to bring people more into the sport? Well, I think the NHL started a good program. They've got a program called the Diversity Program, and the hockey is for everyone. And I think it's a good start, but I think the biggest thing that we have to do as a sport is get it out in front of kids that don't have that opportunity. I mean, unfortunately, hockey is a bit of a pricey sport, so they've got to get a, find a way for kids that are a little less fortunate to be able to get a chance to play the game, get a feel for the game, see the game, and they'll fall in love with the game. So a lot of it's just exposure. And last but not least, in today's game, how good would Wayne Gretzky be? Today's oh, rules today. Best. Was that? Not even a debate. He'd still be the best because when he played, you could hook and hold. You can't hook and hold anymore. So that means you'd have a real tough time stopping him. Everybody worried about his skating and everything, but he thinks the game two steps faster than everybody else. So he'd be just fine. Also, you are also one of the few goalies back in those days. There were a lot more goalie fights than there were today. How come that doesn't happen anymore? The goalie fights are usually the one that you talk about when the game is done. Because I'm not nearly big enough. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm the old school goalie. I'm only about 5'9". So, guys, now, I think the average size of a goalie now is about 6'3". So, and besides, we had guys that looked after that for us. I mean, that was, that was the great thing is we had guys that were there for that purpose. And the teams we had in Edmonton, we could play a finesse game. We could play a tight checking game or we could play that mean, dirty game. Our team was built for any style that anybody wanted to play. Very cool. Well, Grant, we want to go ahead and thank you for coming on. Again, you can find him on the social medias. If it's Instagram, it's GrantFuer31 or at Instagram, just his name, GrantFuer, all one word. That's the way you can find him. So if, he, if COVID-19 finally goes away and you're out and about doing some more fun, some more charitable stuff, you can always uh, find all of his stuff on there. He's posting great stuff all the time. So, Grant, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. That's my pleasure. Hopefully we'll get to play golf again soon. You got it. Thanks, Grant. Well, once again, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank everybody for subscribing and listening and sharing. This podcast is growing by leaps and bounds. And again, if you want to find Brett Boone, you can always do it. He's on all the social medias, but at the Boone 29, that's where you can find him on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. He's a great follow. Go ahead and do so for the former silver slugger, all-star, as well as golden glover, Brett Boone. We want to thank you guys for jumping on the Boone podcast with us. I'm Dan Levy. We'll see you guys next week. Take care.